Welcome to Just Plain Tim, a podcast where we discuss life, faith, family, the past, the present, the future, and everything in between. Now, here's your host, Tim Parrish. Well, hello and welcome back to the podcast. I'm so thankful that you've stopped by today. This is actually part three in a teaching series called What's Next? I started that series early in the 2020 coronavirus pandemic. I really hope that you've had the opportunity to listen to parts one and two. Now, this lesson stands alone well enough on itself, and and if this is the first place that uh, you're starting from, you'll be okay. But if you have the time, I, I would like it if you'd pause this segment and actually go back to parts one and two. It'll really kind of help to give you some teaching context as far as how we ended up in this particular place today. Um, These particular lessons were interesting because when I filmed uh, these segments for uh, what you're going to hear today, uh, in the first part, I was actually standing inside an attic and uh, nothing really exciting happened there, uh, but it just kind of formed a nice backdrop for what I was talking about. In the second segment, uh, you may hear some additional noises because I was outside filming uh, at my beehives. Some of you may not know that uh, I am a hobby beekeeper, and um, so I was out there filming, and, and, and you'll hear why. There's, there's a reason. Uh, but what would really be funny is if you could see the outtakes from that day. Uh, let's just say that the, the bees inspired some interpretive dance that day. And uh, if that had made the final cut, uh, it would have been quite entertaining. Anyway, I'm glad that you're here today and look forward to sharing this time together with you in the Word. Where would you hide? If I told you that the enemy was after you and, and that if they caught you, if they found out where you were, that you would probably be dragged from your hiding place. You would be beaten. You might be thrown in prison. And there's a real good chance you'd be killed. But you had a warning. You had the opportunity to find a safe place. Where would you hide? Where would you go to feel protected? You know, I think about that sometimes when I come across stories again like that of Anne Frank. You remember Anne and her family from 1942 to 1944 lived in a hidden apartment No one knew was there above a warehouse with four wanted Jews, and they waited. Eventually, they were discovered. Anne and her father were the only two who survived that experience. But for two years, that little hidden attic apartment was home. It was safe. Where would you hide? I looked around my house this week, and there weren't a lot of places that I thought A guy my size, well, I don't hide very easily. But maybe in the attic. Well, it's not always going to be comfortable in the attic. In fact, even today, it's a little warm up here. But the attic kind of seems like a place that's sort of safe. It's it's not in the normal space that someone would walk in and out and, and look around. And if I'm still and I'm quiet, maybe for a little while, I can be safe. I can be hidden. Maybe my enemies won't find me. At the end of John chapter 20, verse 19, we find out that the disciples had been hiding. After the death of Jesus, 
they were afraid of the Jewish authorities. They were afraid that what happened to Jesus would happen to them if they were found and if it was discovered that they were, in fact, Jesus' followers. And so they, they hid in an upper room, an, an upstairs space of some kind, a place where they could lock the doors, a place that afforded them some feeling of safety. Well, in Acts chapter 1, they have watched Jesus ascend into the heavens. And Jesus has given them instruction to just stay in Jerusalem and wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. But I imagine that that waiting was full of anxiety and uncertainty, even fear. Because I think if I try to put myself in their position and I think about where they were and what they had seen over the previous month or so, if anything, I think I'd want to get out of the city. I would want to leave Jerusalem because at least if I could get out into the countryside, if I could go back to, to Galilee or, or if I could flee into the mountains, at least then maybe I could find some sense of not having to constantly look over my shoulder, not having to worry if someone recognized me or, or saw me. Instead, Jesus said, no, you need to stay right here in this city and wait. Uh, chapter 1 of Acts describes their their waiting place, again, as an upper room. Uh, that could mean a lot of different things, but there weren't a lot of huge spaces in first century Palestine and Jerusalem that would have afforded uh, a large, luxurious space to wait. And when we, when we hear about the fact that there were 120 or so of them gathered together, I suspect wherever they were was probably kept fairly dark. Maybe they were in an upper space that the roof could be open to let some light come in. There probably wasn't a lot of ventilation. There probably wasn't a lot of coming and going. Most people probably stayed pretty still. Because even then, even having seen Jesus after his death and resurrection and watching his ascension and hearing God's angelic message, still I think they probably felt like they needed to sort of stay hidden if they were going to wait in Jerusalem. Jesus said the Holy Spirit is coming. Jesus had described the Holy Spirit as a comforter. Jesus had described the Holy Spirit as that which would guide them into truth. Jesus had told them that the Spirit himself would enable them to understand more things than Jesus was telling them or had told them. A lot of the mysteries that were in their mind, the Holy Spirit could help them solve or unravel. And so they knew the Holy Spirit was good. In fact, Jesus even told them, it is better for you if I go away and the Holy Spirit comes. I think they believed all of that. But I'm not sure they understood what it meant, nor am I certain that it took away their fear and their anxiety. And maybe there were even moments of depression and doubt. Because yes, Jesus died, and, and yes, Jesus was resurrected, but now Jesus was gone. And, and there's the promise that Jesus is coming back, and there's the promise that before that the Holy Spirit is coming, but there's no timetable for any of it. No one said how long we're going to have to wait. Jesus never said for two weeks or for six months or for the rest of your life. No, he had told them that eventually they would leave Jerusalem, and they would be as witnesses to all of Judea and, and even into Samaria and even going out into the rest of the world. But how do you spin all that down into something that causes you to be still and calm and quiet? Instead, maybe what you feel like you need to do 
is find a place to hide. A place where no one will find you. And just kind of wait. Well, it may be that they were just kind of waiting. It may be that they felt the need to hide. But I want to suggest to you today something that during the time we're living in, I think is really important. You see, a lot of us may feel like right now we have been hiding from an invisible enemy. We've been hiding out in our houses. We've been not going out and going out to eat and going shopping and gathering with crowds of people at ball games or school or church. And, and, and we feel like there's this enemy, this unseen enemy that may find us in our hiding place. If we're not careful and cautious, if we don't wash our hands and, and wear a mask or put on gloves, there's an enemy that we feel like is, is lurking, watching. And when we're least expecting, may spring on us. Well, obviously, we don't want that to happen. We don't desire for that to happen. And so it kind of feels like for the last several weeks, we've been hiding out ourselves. The reason that I want to share with you what was going on with those hiding people in Acts chapter 1 is to suggest to you that they weren't just passing the time. They weren't just waiting. In fact, in a real sense, I think they never lost their focus. They understood that the life and business of the kingdom of God was ongoing, even if they didn't grasp what the kingdom was going to be like, even if they didn't understand Jesus going away and coming back and going away and, and, and all those things, even if they didn't quite understand the Holy Spirit, they knew there was a reason that they were to wait, and they knew that the waiting was not just time to stand still, even if they were hidden. So if you want to go with me into Acts chapter 1, I want to begin reading in verse number 12. Acts chapter 1, verse number 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. That is Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, with his brothers. And at this time, Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren, a gathering of about 120 people that were there together, and said, Brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was counted among us, and he received his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the price of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open out in the middle of it, and all his intestines came out. And it became known to all who were living in Jerusalem, so that in their own language, the field was called Hakeldama, that is, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his homestead be made desolate, and let no one dwell in it, and let another man take his office. Therefore it is necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time, that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John, until the day that he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they put forward two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justus, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all men, show which one of these two you have chosen to occupy this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they drew lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was added to the 11 apostles. Now there's three things that I really want you to see out of this text. Three things, because though they were waiting, though they were hiding, I want you to understand that life didn't stop 
for followers of Jesus, there were some really important things. First of all, did you notice in the text that it said they were devoted to prayer? Devoted. Not just praying here and there, not using prayer as, as, a, as an emergency plan. Devoted. Spending time, probably according to the Jewish custom of praying at specified times throughout the day. Every three hours or so, perhaps sitting down and, and praying together. Praying individually. Praying about what had happened, praying about where they were and, and what was going to happen, praying for God's presence, praying indeed for the, the coming of the Spirit and the breaking forth of the kingdom. They were devoted to prayer. Secondly, I think it's important to notice that these people were also devoted or dedicated to each other. They knew that there were needs that needed to be met, and they knew that some of them had the ability to meet those needs. They knew that, that there were things that could be done in order to accomplish the, the will of God by, by making sure that everybody's needs were met. And so they were devoted to each other. Thirdly, I think it's important to note that they were devoted and dedicated to the mission of God. They were dedicated and devoted to carrying on what Jesus had started among them. They knew that there was some reason, whether they understood it or not, maybe Jesus had explained somewhere along the way why there were 12 of them. Maybe it parallels the, the 12 tribes of Israel. Maybe it's just another instance of this number 12 showing up in Scripture, but Jesus started with 12. They understood because of their devotion to the Scripture, because of their study and their understanding of the prophets, that Judas did what he did, actually fulfilling prophecy. And they believed that prophecy also spoke to the fact that Judas would then need to be replaced. And they, they used a strange procedure, this casting of lots, we're not entirely certain what that looked like, whether it was like drawing stones from a bag, whether it was something akin to the drawing of straws like maybe we've done, or, or, or a game where some kind of die was tossed. But it was, a, it was not a game to them. It was a, a thing of trust where they said, God, we don't know exactly what to do next, but we believe that through this process you'll show us what to do because we believe that we're supposed to keep working. We believe that your mission is not over. We believe that it's not finished and that there is something that we need to continue doing for you. They knew they were going to go out as witnesses in the world. Even if they didn't know exactly what that would look like, they knew that they needed each other. And so thus Matthias comes to join. You see, I think there's three ideas here that are very important for us right now in this time of waiting. Rather than feeling like we're hiding and we have to stay in the dark, we need to understand that this time continues to be a time for us to be dedicated and devoted to communion with the Father, to speaking and listening to the will of God. We also need to understand that community, though community doesn't look like it did a few weeks ago, is still a very important thing. And the building of relationships doesn't have to stop because we can't be face to face with each other. I hope you've been using your phones, and I hope you've been using the mail, and I hope you've been using your computers and, and devices to stay connected and, and maybe even to, to rebuild some relationships. I know that will look different when we're back face to face again, but there is something powerful and something important about community. So communion with God, community, the relationship with each other, and kingdom mission. You see, the work of God hasn't stopped. Reaching the world with the gospel hasn't stopped. It, it didn't then and, and it doesn't now. 
Our work to take the gospel to the world has been ongoing. Our work to meet the needs of people in our community has not stopped, and we've continued to do that in the name of Jesus. The kingdom work has continued here. Our mission efforts have remained, up to this point at least, fully funded. And we've not had to withdraw or pull back on that so that in other places in the world, kingdom work is still carrying on because of the the goodness of your giving and, and the part of that that you have continued to support. And so we today, waiting, yes, feeling like we're hiding in the attic, maybe, but certainly devoted to communing with God through prayer to building community even in unconventional ways, and to carrying on the work of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God on the earth. So yes, we wait, but it's not empty waiting. And it certainly isn't hiding. Well, finding that balance between waiting and hiding, between following God and following the government's advice or that that struggle that exists, that, that, that tension between faith and fear. That's been all too present in the lives of Christians in the last few months, and it continues to be. And, and, and I suspect it has been for a long time, but the pandemic just kind of brought those things to the forefront for a lot of us. Well, in section two today, we're going to talk a little bit about the reward that comes sometimes from waiting, from being patient, from, from watching for what God is going to do. I mentioned earlier I was filming out near my honeybees. You'll hear them buzzing around a little bit in the background, but maybe they remind us with the precious reward of sweet honey that it really is good sometimes to wait and see what God is going to do. Part two. It's amazing to watch these bees come and go from these beehives. What's even more amazing is the part that you can't see right now because inside each of these hives, these bees that have been out flying, finding sources of nectar and pollen, the two things that they need to continue to feed the hive and and to make the honey that they need to sustain the hive, when they come back, they communicate to the other bees in the hive where they've been with exact GPS precision. They come back and they communicate by the way that they make patterns on the combs that are inside, the way that they shake their uh, bodies and, and, and the, the certain number of times. And Scientists have tried for a long time to really decode the, the precise nature of the language of the honeybees. And that hasn't been an easy thing to do, but, but this is one thing that is certain. Some of these bees, at least these hives, I've been watching over for a few years now. And I come out here and I look, and I sit, and I watch, and I wait, and I listen, and I have yet, I have yet been able to communicate with these bees. I can't go into the hive, I can't lift the top of this hive and tell the other bees that are in there where uh, two miles from here there's a big patch of crimson clover. I cannot lift the lid of this hive and tell these bees where the nearest water source is. I can't tell any of them where the the nearest patch of privet is once the privet is open. I I can't direct them, no matter what I do or say, to an orchard or a vineyard, to a, a blueberry patch or a cotton field. Now they can do that with each other, but they are communicating in necessary ways 
essential life-giving messages through a language that I don't understand. The same kind of thing happened in Acts chapter 2. Finally, it was time. The waiting was over. We find ourselves on the day of Pentecost. That's 50 days after Passover. So seven weeks, give or take, after the time that Jesus had been crucified. The disciples had been watching. They had been waiting. I don't know if they were locked away in an attic or not, but the wait was over. And I want to begin reading in Acts chapter 2, verse number 1, because some amazing things are about to happen. And I hope you'll see one of the, one of the reasons that we're here with the bees today. Acts chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Remember, there were 120 plus the, the, the apostles were there, and then there were about 120 people total. Suddenly, there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues like fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues, your Bible may say, or languages, as the Holy Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and they were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, why, aren't all these people speaking Galileans? And how is it that we can hear them in our own language, the, the language to which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, people from Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt, and the districts of Libya around Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them in our own language speaking the mighty deeds of God. I've often tried to close my eyes and imagine what it must have been like, what the sound of the mighty rushing wind was like. It was obviously a noise that brought people nearby. It brought people to, together because they heard the sound. It seems like it was centralized in one location. And when they got there, the most amazing thing that was happening was that these uneducated men, all from one little region of one country, were speaking the mighty acts of God, the, the messages of God, the message of the gospel, the truth of God. And every single person wasn't hearing through an interpreter. They weren't all understanding because they were all multilingual. Every person was hearing the message of God in their own dialect, in whatever accented form of whatever language they spoke. They were hearing it. And it was amazing. Now, there's more to come in Acts chapter 2 with regard to what happened as a result of the coming of the Holy Spirit. But I want you for just a minute to stay right here with me and think in terms of this amazing sound, this, this message, what it must have been like. When I preached for the Woodward Park Church in Fresno, we had a service each year where all the congregations that met under one roof came together for a joint service. So we had the English speakers and the Spanish speakers. We had the folks from Laos and Cambodia. 
We had someone who spoke sign language for our deaf members. We had someone who could speak Creole as a native of Haiti. And together, some of us church leaders assembled on the stage and we read through a text that spoke about the different pieces and parts of the body of God forming one body. And each of us, as we read, read in our own language. So there were people in the audience who heard the Word of God in their own language that day. But it wasn't just me speaking and, and they could all hear it in their own language. It wasn't two of us speaking. The only time the Laotians heard their language spoken was when the Laotian minister, my friend John Sukio, was speaking. Or when Tao Vang was speaking. Uh, the, the Hmong people. Or, or when when the, the message was being spoken in sign language. Or, or when uh, the, the Creole was being... No, it was close. But it wasn't like that day. The only thing that I can compare it to, and maybe it makes sense to you, maybe it doesn't would be the day that I came out here and I could begin to speak to these honeybees. And I could begin to tell them where the food sources were, where the prime real estate was. And they could hear me. And they could say, whoa, where did that big guy with a beard learn how to speak bee language? Well, I don't know, maybe that's a poor illustration for you. But I think it's just one of the many ways that God demonstrates that He is willing to do whatever it takes to make sure that the gospel message reaches every human being. God started here with taking men who probably only spoke one language. Maybe they spoke two if they had some knowledge of Hebrew and then they were Greek speakers. And He gave them through the power of the Holy Spirit the ability to speak in such a way that every person present from all the reaches of the empire were hearing God's Word. Because God wants to be heard. The waiting was over. The Holy Spirit had come. And this was just the beginning of the mighty things that God would do with the Holy Spirit. I will admit to you that there are a lot of things that God is probably doing with and by the Holy Spirit today that that I don't know about or that I don't understand. But this much I know. God is every bit as concerned today with His message reaching the far corners of the globe, the, the yet undiscovered people to us. God wants the gospel to go there. We talked last week about why God is waiting. I'm telling you that even in this time of global pandemic and quarantine, the gospel of Jesus Christ the mighty deeds of God are being spoken in, I guess, almost every language we know. And even for those of us who don't understand the language of these amazing insects in front of me, I can still watch what they do. I can see how they do it. And even these bees speak to me, and maybe to you, of the mighty deeds of of God. Well, isn't God amazing? Isn't the Holy Spirit amazing? Well, we're going to begin seeing in the next few weeks some of the things that the apostles and the followers of God were able to do because the Holy Spirit had come and filled them. In the meantime, 
I want you to be thinking about and praying about ways that God can use you, even now, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to speak His mighty deeds to whoever might listen. Because some people, some people will recognize your voice. And when you speak, they'll hear something they've never heard before. They'll listen because it's your voice, a voice they know. And the message I hope you can take away today is that God is still interested in using whatever voice, whatever language, whatever dialect, whatever accent is necessary to make His gospel known, to make sure that people in the far corners of the globe hear it. And He's using us, even you today, to be a part of that. So maybe in a sense we still wait. We still watch to see what the Holy Spirit will do. But we don't hide. We stand in boldness. And with our voices together, we proclaim the mighty acts of God to all who will hear. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Just Plain Tim podcast, where we talk about life, faith, family, the past, the present, the future, and everything in between. For your host, Tim Parrish, thanks for stopping by. We'll see you next time.